This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. The federal budget has been brought in. There are a lot of measures in there that will impact you. Everything from more money in your pocket through the GST rebate to shaving a few dollars potentially off the cost of a concert ticket. So what ties all of these things together? Let's find out. Joining us now is Canada's Finance Minister, Christia Freeland. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Good morning, Simi. Now, let me ask you, first up, what were your goals in bringing this budget forward? What did you want out of this? Okay, three key objectives. One you have touched on just now, affordability to help Canadians with the cost of living right now. Second, big investments in shoring up our health care system, including bringing in dental care. And third, one of the biggest investments in Canadian history in the clean economy. That is going to mean great jobs for a lot of people in B.C., Those are my objectives. Okay, so what about the idea that, I mean, economists are not as confident about our soft landing as they were a few months back. Do you think there's enough in there to stimulate the economy? Well, I don't actually think the objective right now is to stimulate the economy because we're in this kind of weird economic situation, and yes, weird is a technical term, where on the one hand, the economy is slowing down, but also inflation is still high. It was 5.2% in February. And this slowdown in the economy, it's not like accidental. It's actually happening on purpose. The Bank of Canada has raised interest rates really high, really fast to slow down the economy. So the government right now, we're not trying to pour fuel on the flames of inflation. And that's why I gave you my top three objectives. But at the same time, fiscal responsibility was important for me, too. So what is the priority then when it comes to balancing the budget at some point? It doesn't look like that's on the radar here. Our focus is to do to make those three key investments that I talked about right at the beginning, affordability, because I bet your listeners would agree with me and probably with you, too, that there are a lot of people in B.C. right now who need immediate help, and there is help there. Second, big investments in the healthcare system, $198 billion over 10 years, plus dental care. And again, I think Canadians really believe in our universal public healthcare system, and they know we need to shore it up. And then we're kind of at this historic moment. You know, President Biden was in Canada last Friday. He talked about the world being at an inflection point where we decide, are we going to build the clean economy or not? I think Canada has already decided we're going to build the clean economy, and we put a lot of money behind that because it means jobs. So we had to make those three investments. We have, and we've balanced that. We've balanced that compassion, that investment, with fiscal responsibility. 
Okay, let's talk a bit about the, the junk fees. Now, that was in the budget, not a lot of details. So what does that mean, and, and how is that going to be addressed? Okay, I am glad you mentioned it because it's one of my, you know, like in budgets you have like your personal favorite things. Um, those specific affordability measures were among my personal favorites. So what we're saying is we think that there are a lot of fees that just get thrown in there that torment people and make their daily lives more expensive. Stuff like, as you said, tickets, stuff like extra fees that resorts tack on, stuff like extra fees on plane tickets. So we're going to be looking aggressively at all of those and a couple of other measures in that space that I think are really important. We are bringing the maximum predatory lending rate that can be charged things like payday loans. Right now, the maximum is 47%. We're bringing it down to 35%. And we're also pushing ahead with automatic tax filing because there are 12% of Canadians who don't file their taxes. Most of these people would qualify automatically for extra support, things like the Canada Workers' Benefit, things like the GST credit. But we can't get them that support because they don't file their taxes. But a lot of people are scared of filing their taxes. They find it complicated and difficult. So we are moving ahead with an automatic filing system to be sure that the people who need the support get it. How, do we, how does that work? Well, how it's going to work, and we're not there yet, is using the information that uh, the CRA has about you. The CRA will pre-file your return, and then we'll send it to you, and we'll say, but we're not there yet. This is where we're going. We'll send it to you, and we'll say, hey, here's what we think your tax return should say, and if you file this return, you're going to qualify for these various rebates and support measures. If you agree, sign it and submit it, and the check will be in the mail. Hmm. Okay. What about the dental care rollout? That's been mentioned, but where are we at with that plan? Um, we have already covered kids under 12 in Canada, um, around more than 16,000 kids in BC have already taken advantage of that support. And that's a number that makes me really happy. That 16,000 kids in BC who either had parents that didn't have enough money to take them to the dentist, or if they did, had to, I don't know, maybe not buy them a pair of shoes or not take them, you know, not pay the fee to take them to a skating rink. Um, so that's 16,000 kids already getting the coverage. Um, we have committed to rolling out that dental coverage to all uninsured Canadians, people making under 90000 or less by the end of 2025. And by the end of this year, of 2023, we're going to be rolling out coverage to people under 18, to people with disabilities, and to seniors. Okay. And then last question here, what is your message to Canadians? What do you want the public to take away from that budget? Well, I, it goes back to um, what you and I were saying right at the beginning. I want people to know that this is a budget that's going to support them with affordability, that is supporting our health care system and expanding it to include dental care, that is investing energetically, optimistically in the clean economy, and that is going to mean great jobs for people in B.C., 
and we're doing all of this in a fiscally responsible way. Well, thank you so much for your time this morning. Yeah, thank you very much. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is Mornings with Simi. It is an absolutely awful story, an awful story that is making headlines all over the world and cities like New York, even newspapers there are writing about this. It is the tragic story of a father, 37 years old, who was murdered outside of a local Starbucks. It has really shaken people. And it's understandable when you hear some of the details. So Paul Stanley Schmidt was stabbed in broad daylight right in front of his fiancée, three-year-old daughter, because he apparently asked a man not to vape in front of his toddler. They were waiting outside the Starbucks. At least that is what we have heard from Paul's mother, Kathy Schmidt. She said she's angry, she's sad, and she's questioning how the circumstances that led to her son's death weren't somehow prevented. It's been extremely difficult. We've, we've lost our son, and um, it, it's devastating. It's been senseless crime. Um, Paul lived, uh, Paul had a great life. He lived for life. He lived for his family. And to have that ripped away from him is just cruel and um, unacceptable. So it, it's heartbreaking and we are, we're, we're coping, we're, we're trying to deal with it. That is Paul Stanley Schmidt's mother, Kathy Schmidt, talking about his death outside that Starbucks in downtown Vancouver on Sunday afternoon. The family uh, is shaken, obviously, and Kathy was speaking on the phone there to Global News. Now, this stabbing is the fifth, just in the downtown area, uh, since the beginning of the month. I mean, that's crazy, just in the month of March alone. So obviously, we are all starting to question whether enough is being done here to reduce the rate of violent crimes in the city. And you know what? We are here. Maybe you're not here every day. Maybe you're just coming through a visit. Maybe you're just walking through. But businesses see this day in and day out. So how have these kinds of altercations impacted these downtown businesses? Our producer, Bianca Rago, decided to find out. Uh, She spoke with Ziggy, a local business owner in Chinatown, whose store was personally impacted by that shooting back in February on Pender and Columbia. Immigrant white trash. Chinese person? Yeah! I hate crime or death! With a 483% rise in racially motivated attacks since 2021 to a chilling 100% increase of attempted homicide, the spike in crime across Vancouver has been hard to overlook. There's a growing memorial outside of Vancouver Starbucks for Paul Schmidt who was fatally stabbed on Sunday. Vancouver police are investigating a triple stabbing near the Granville Entertainment District. A 30-year-old Surrey man is now facing charges after a man was stabbed to death in Vancouver's Chinatown in February. According to recent data released by the Vancouver Police Department, the majority of these crimes occur in District 2, which include the neighborhoods of Strathcona, Hastings Sunrise, Grandview, and the downtown east side. These four neighborhoods alone make up 40% of violent crimes in Metro Vancouver. Of all four neighborhoods, Chinatown seems to be the eye of the storm. 
This is something Ziggy, the owner of Blim, a family-oriented, independent arts and crafts store on Pender in between Columbia and Maine, has first-hand experience with. So remember the shooting incident? He tried to come into our shop. We begin tonight with breaking news out of Vancouver, where the aftermath of a brazen daylight shooting on the city's downtown east side spilled into Chinatown this afternoon, forcing some businesses to temporarily lock their doors and bystanders wondering what exactly was happening. So what happened was my sister was working at the time, so she was dealing with a customer, and as he left, she heard him say, I didn't do anything. And then she went outside and all of a sudden she saw 10 SWAT cars surrounding the front of Blim. It was like in the movies where it was like the SWAT team guns and they're ushering her to come out. And then suddenly a whole SWAT team swarmed into Blim with the guns, you know, like going through everything because they took down the gunman right in front of our store, like moments before that. But they thought there was a second gunman and they thought that he had come into Blim because he saw him trying to get in here. So that happened. How does that make you feel working in an area where that can just happen? (laughs) Well, it's weird because I've always been in the rougher neighborhoods. Like our alley is like murder alley, they call it, you know? It's like sort of known as the place where bodies are found in the dumpsters actually (gasps) before we moved here so I guess this area has always been it's been pretty bad since Blim opened in 2012 the number of violent crimes has hovered around 2500 averaging at 2,179 violent assaults in the past 11 years. So I've kind of been used to being around this environment my whole adult life like I can't think about it in that way that would upset me to the point that I'd have to leave because, like, I don't really have a choice. So in order to keep her shop, her staff, and herself safe, Ziggy has followed in the steps of countless other store owners in Chinatown and has installed a doorbell on Blim's front door. This gives Ziggy and her staff enough time to assess who's trying to enter the store and whether or not they pose a threat. If I didn't have the buzzer installed, the shooting could have been like a hostage-type situation. So with the buzzer, it's a lot safer. Um, I mean, that gun incident was... That was like a one, like it doesn't happen like all the time, every day. Ziggy's considered moving her store to a safer neighborhood, but she says on the salary of an artist, along with the inflation and rising housing costs across the province, she's been unable to find a storefront with enough space to run her business that's actually affordable. That said, Ziggy focuses on the positives. They're sort of a community within the downtown east side. Like not everyone here is violent or a criminal, mm-hmm. or a drug addict. There's a lot of people with like mental health, with addiction, with recovery. There is quite a vibrant community here. It's just, you know, it's a little bit messy, <laughs> but it's still a community nonetheless. But at the same time, you know, I have to keep healthy boundaries. We have like a zero tolerance for aggression, but we do also try to include as much as the downtown east side as possible, you know, when it's feasible for us, you know, provided they, you know, behave. 
<laughs> don't you know it's just it's just that simple you know I mean I'll turn away uh, someone who's you know quote unquote normal just if they have a bad attitude <laughs> so really like it doesn't make a difference if you're from the downtown east side or if you're just you know a shit person but it, it is a constant work in progress and just being aware and moving slow making decisions like having the door put in but not in a way to shut out everyone it's just more so we can screen people it's it's not meant to be exclusionary it's just to protect our business and it got all validated when that incident happened which was pretty frightening it was just one of those things it's all very frightening when we see what's happening down there. That's our producer, Bianca Rego, who spent some time talking to some business owners, in particular, uh, Ziggy, local business owner in Chinatown, whose store was personally impacted by the February shooting on Pender in Columbia. So that was the you know, high-profile case. We talked a lot about that one at the time. And now I feel like this one is different. This death of 37-year-old Paul Stanley Schmidt has really shaken a lot of people, and rightfully so. I mean, he was killed outside a Starbucks Sunday afternoon, lots of people around, his wife inside getting drinks while he's outside with their three-year-old in a stroller. That is not by any stretch anything that is even remotely supposed to happen. So yeah, people are angry about that and people are fearful. So there are still so many questions about it. This is Mornings with Simi. Every once in a while, I get the feeling, like I'm sure you do, that you just need to hear something a little more inspiring in the world, right? Just something good that is happening out there. And we have that for you here. And this all has to do with the chocolate bar. Because U.S. President Joe Biden was visiting last week. And and during that presidential visit, he received a gift. Actually, it was handed to him by Green Party leader Elizabeth May. It was a chocolate bar. And it's not just any chocolate bar, though. It's a kind of a unique blend of Syrian and Canadian flavors. It was Canadian created by a company called Peace by Chocolate. You may have heard of them. They are a Canadian chocolate company, but they were founded by the Haddad family. The Haddad family came to Canada about 10 years ago. They had spent a few years in a refugee camp after fleeing Syria when civil war there broke out back in 2011. And we thought, what a journey that is, right? To come all this way to start this chocolate company in a small town in Nova Scotia and have it handed to the president of the United States. We had a chance to speak with Tarek Haddad, who's the founder and CEO of Peace by Chocolate. And here's some of that conversation. Well, Tarek, thank you so much for joining us today. How does it feel to know that your chocolate, something you made, was in the hands of U.S. President Joe Biden? Oh, you know, this has been absolutely the most remarkable moment in our journey. Uh, Our chocolate has been on uh, many powerful stages in the world, uh, on the International Space Station, with Nancy Pelosi, with the prime ministers from around the globe. But this was really special for our family because we didn't know about it. And it was really surreal just to watch on live television when millions of people, not only in North America, but around the globe, were watching the first visit of the United States President Joe Biden to Canada. And our chocolate bar was really kind of one unofficial part of the agenda. Thanks to Elizabeth May for including our chocolate bar there. And thanks to her for the kind gesture. But we are totally still over the moon. 
my family told me yesterday that they're still pinching themselves. <laughs> that is so nice to hear. <laughs> but can we talk as well about your family's journey? What got you to this place? You, your home was in Syria. And, and, and when did you flee? Mm. Um, that's correct, actually. My family and I come from Syria. We fled the country in 2012. Just a little bit uh, back history. We run a very successful chocolate factory there. And then the factory was bombed in the Syrian war in 2012 that led our family to flee the country and become refugees in Lebanon. In 2013, Canada was the only country on the planet that opened the doors for us. And then uh, we were really thankful to end up on the East Coast, although we didn't know anyone in Nova Scotia. But the community group of Antigonish called Safe uh, brought us here. And, you know, the, the company was restarted because we believe the kindness of the community has generated so much hope in us to give back to the people of the community, offer jobs, and also contribute so much to the country that we are so honored to call home now. When did you start making chocolate? Um, well, historically, you know, my dad started making chocolate in Syria in 1986, but in Canada, we restarted the company right after we arrived. So Peace by Chocolate, as the rebranded name for our company from back home, started in Nova Scotia in 2016, and we actually made chocolate a few months before we officially released the company or the brand in our home kitchen in Antigonish with the support from all the family members who were either chocolate makers or taste testers. And trust me, a taste tester is a very fun job, you know, when you make chocolate. <laughs> <Yes>. So <laughs> everyone had so much fun with it in the early days, and uh, we are absolutely, absolutely over the moon now that we are one of the largest employers in the community, and we are very proud to expand and grow, uh, not only in Canada, but hopefully around the globe soon, especially after the, the recent uh, publicity, thanks to President Biden, but also throughout all the projects we've worked on, including our movie, Peace by Chocolate, and our best-selling book as well. What an amazing story, Turk. What a, just absolutely phenomenal. So I have to ask you, though, what is the secret, do you think? Because your chocolate must also be very, very good for it to be this popular. So what is the secret, do you think? Well, you know, in addition to being very scrumptious, our chocolate advocates for a very noble cause, uh, peace. Everyone wants peace. Everyone loves chocolate. And that's why this is a perfect marriage. Peace by chocolate is the perfect marriage between the two values because chocolate makes happiness and peace is the noblest value everyone should fight for. Without it, no one can go to work. No one can build business. You cannot uh, go to school. You cannot do anything without peace. We cannot have this conversation today without knowing that we are living in a peaceful place. So we actually have a company that is a cause more than a business, but also we have our partnerships that we have released with the community, over 11 partnerships with indigenous communities, refugee support communities, and at the same time, Canadian Mental Health Association, Trans-Canada Trail, Red Cross. And we try to make sure we give back because we are not in the business of just making delicious chocolate. There's a lot of chocolate companies out there. Our, our key value is actually by being uh, in the business of passion, enthusiasm, advocacy, contribution, and excellence. And every single person on our team believes, actually, in these very values that they need to be spread much further. You know, we live in a time when it is much easier to sell hatred and anxiety. And we need to spread much more positive anecdotes and mm. positive values. And we really need to bring also the light to the issue that now immigration 
is very important to the sustainability for our country, very important to the ecosystem, very important to help those who are fleeing persecution and war. And we are just one story of many. And we're, at the end of the day, you know, we're very proud to be uh, not only chocolate makers, but peace advocates. And we really hope to see that whatever we are planting now is going to see fruition hopefully very soon by living in a more peaceful uh, world where everyone understands each other. From your words, from your words, we hope that happens. Let me ask you, though, when your family first settled in Nova Scotia, what was that like? Was the community welcoming? Um, they were absolutely fantastic. You know, everyone in Canada, as the stereotype goes, you know, before you arrive here, the Canadians are really nice, which is very, very true. And in the many times, people are extra nice. You know, when, when they opened the doors for us, when they showed up at the farmer's market in front of our booth, we sold out in 15 minutes. And when they continued supporting us, because they believe that the welcoming journey does not end in, at the airport, does not end by just waving the flag to say welcome to Canada to a refugee family at any Canadian airport. Actually, it is a, a day-to-day uh, support system that we need to build for, for all those refugees and immigrants. And that's really what the community and that's what the province of Nova Scotia has taught us. It is possible because when you show kindness, you're going to get kindness. And uh, without the support from the community here, I don't think we would have been able really to reach any success. Um, it is very important to mention that immigrants usually tend to stay in big cities uh, like Toronto, Montreal, or Vancouver. Um, but we are successful because we are in a small town like Antigonish, where we have a, a small town with a big heart, where we have a big family that takes care of us. Uh, they show up at the time when we need, and uh, we are just here for them, as I'm pretty sure that they are there for us. Oh, so wonderful to hear. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Simi, for having me. That is Tara Kadad, who's the founder and CEO of Peace by Chocolate. What an amazing story that they have there. Just listening to it as well. And by the way, Julie just emailed me to say, recently, Julie says, I had the opportunity to watch Peace by Chocolate. It's a movie on Crave. She said, please try to watch it. It is excellent. I'm extremely happy for the Haddad family. Julie, I am definitely going to go home and check that out today. Thank you so much for that.